Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. Today we are with Dr. Steve Lurch again to uh, do our uh, research call here. So let me go ahead, go ahead and call Brooke. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. So, Brooke, uh, we had a very, very nice uh, career call with Dr. Lurch, and today we we're going to talk about a topic that we mentioned a little bit during the the last call, but. Uh, can you go ahead and, and ask more questions about this? Sure. So um, we're going to kind of cover a little bit of his work looking at quantity versus composition of feed and sort of how that relates to programmed intake for cattle. So just to start, could you tell us a little bit about your research at uh, with programmed intake and how that idea kind of blossomed in your head? Thanks, Brooke. And it's uh, great to be with you today and uh, you too, Pedro. Um <laughs> I know this, this started a long time ago, uh, and it really evolved uh, from several different aspects. And one of them really dealt with human nutrition. It always, it, it always kind of annoyed me that, that all the focus on human nutrition that people have is, is on what you eat. What's the composition that you eat? You need to eat more vegetables. You, eat, you need to eat all protein and no carbohydrates. You need to, you need to eat uh, this uh type of feed or food or that type of food. And nobody talks about the number one nutrition problem in human nutrition in the United States doesn't have anything to do about composition of what you eat. It's a quantity that you eat. Mm. And, uh, and still today, you know, 45 years later, after I graduated from college, people still spend all their time. You look on the TV and it's always about uh, the composition of what you eat. And what I learned it was when I, when I was an undergraduate, was the intake of any nutrient, the, the, the final milligrams or calories that you consume is the product of the composition of that food or feed times the amount that you eat. And it's a very simple process. I'm a very simple thinker. <laughs> and and I, I build a whole series of uh, or lines of research based on that simple concept that the quantity of what you eat or what, a, uh, what you feed an animal uh, you can use that to, to drive the economic efficiency, the biological efficiency, or the, the composition of growth and gain that you're, you're trying to achieve. So, so having that in mind, how, how it, it became something to cattle? So the, the first evolution of this was, was, uh, came from a situation where um, we had very cheap corn in the United States, $1.65 a bushel. And in Ohio, we had a, a, a summer drought and our, our hay production was compromised. So as you move into the winter, I was very fortunate in Ohio State. I had uh, three beef cow herds that I had available to do research with and then a small 350 head feedlot. And, and I thought about, uh, I was actually listening to a, an auction report on the radio over lunch in my office, and they were talking about the price of hay and the price of corn. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And we measure we measure hay usually in tons and we measure corn in bushels. And like I said, I'm a simple thinker. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder what these things are if you if you price them per pound, both of them on the same unit of weight. And, and I realized that the, the hay was more than, than twice as expensive per pound as the corn. And I thought, well, 
the hay also has half the calories that corn does. So why are we feeding all this hay to, to gestating beef cows, to brew cows, or to developing heifers, or backgrounding steers in the wintertime? Why are we feeding all this hay? Um, what we're trying to achieve is a caloric intake, and we can achieve that with corn if we feed them half as much corn, and we can do that at, a, at half of the cost. And, and that's really how it evolved was on the cow side. I moved from gestating cow nutrition, I moved to heifer development. What if we, what if we, and, uh, what if we, uh, what if we limit feed a corn-based diet to growing heifers to meet their desired growth rate uh, in terms of heifer development, two pounds a day? Great. So, in a, in a practical standpoint, how how do you manage that? How how to <clears throat> do? I, I assume by doing that, you figure out that it works. You can yeah. do that. But how? What are the tips that you have? If somebody's listening to us and want to that, what are the things that you discover in the management of those diets that, that we have to have in the farm? There, there are a couple of principles, well, there are several that, that evolved out of this, Pedro. Um, one of them is that uh, you, you need to know what the requirements of the animal are. And you would think that would not be too difficult. Uh, we have this thing called the NRC for beef cattle, and uh, it's actually quite good. And I, I'd look at the NRC and I'd say, how many grams of protein do we need? How many uh, megacals of energy do, do we need? How many grams of, of calcium, phosphorus, and that sort of thing? And, and then I would feed a corn-based diet and a protein mineral supplement to meet those needs. You feed the, you feed the pounds per day that it's required or kilograms per day required to meet those nutrient intakes. And so it's not what you eat, it's how much you eat. And, and it worked really well, uh, except when we got into really cold winter weather and all of a sudden the maintenance requirements of these animals caught me off guard because I didn't, I didn't realize if they're out there eating ad libitum hay in December that they actually had the capacity to, to consume more calories in January when it may be five degrees or zero degrees. So I, you, you have to know the maintenance requirements of the animals as affected by the environment. Um, another thing that evolved from that is, well, obviously you have to have enough bunk space so that the timid animals uh, can consume their, their ration mm -hmm. uh, in, at, at the same time that the more aggressive animals are. So there's some behavioral components. Um, I learned that manure output is significantly less Mm -hmm. If if you feed 12 pounds of corn instead of 30 pounds of hay to a gestating beef cow, your your manure is going to come out in a very, very small uh, quantity. Mm -hmm. And and so manure management becomes easy because why should I pay two hundred dollars a ton for for hay? Hay digestibility is what, 60 mm percent. -hmm. Do the math. This isn't rocket science. This is, <laughs> this is animal science. 40% of that hay is going to end up on, on the, on the ground. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, if I'm limit feeding corn, I'm only losing 10% of that. Another tip that I would add um, has to do with feeding uh, rumen protected starch because they're going to consume these, their ration very quickly. And, and you have to, you have to spend a little time um, transitioning a, a growing heifer or a beef cow just eating cow 
uh, you have to transition them to that grain-based diet. It's not as big a problem as if they were eating ad libitum because the amount of starch is less, but you still have to adjust them. So my solution for that was feeding rumen protected corn. And you know what I mean by that? Whole shell corn, Mm -hmm. right? That delays the release of that starch. And if you're limit feeding it, you get very, very efficient use of, of, of that high, uh, whole shell corn. It works really well for small producers and, and, uh, and, uh, we did that even cows. a couple of years ago in my PhD yeah. still like, <laughs> yeah. especially like, like you said, for small producers who don't have the ability to process the corn and, yeah. and, and it's, it's easier for them. Now that's pretty good. Do, do you have any, any other question, Brooke? Yeah. So, um, so, one question uh, that we, we like to ask is just, you mentioned some of the challenges specifically with program feeding, but what are the main challenges that someone who's trying to implement it would face? And then how can they overcome those challenges? Well, I think, I think part of it is, uh, is psychological because we always have in our mind that, that animals uh, should be eating ad libitum and they should be eating free choice. And so this is, there's a little bit of ego involved, okay? Uh, in Pedro's case, I think I'm smarter than a, a whole scene steer, you know? And so I, I think I know better what they should eat than they know themselves. Or maybe, you know, pick your, your uh, whether it's colored cattle or, or continental cattle, pick the breed. I think I'm smarter than a feedlot steer. And I can dictate what they eat. And, and this really, uh, Brooke, this transition, this whole idea of how much you eat transitioned into two other lines of research. Um, one of them was with receiving cattle. I was doing a lot of receiving research and, and, and struggling trying to get calves on feed after they come to the feedlot. And, and typically, um, there's great variation in intake. Some animals might eat half of what they should, their, their maximum average, uh, average daily feed. Uh, some of them don't eat at all for three or four days. And by and large, uh, the average would be that the first week, they're going to eat maybe 35, 40% of ad libitum, what their normal intake would be. The second week, it's usually about 60% of, of their normal intake. And so we're trying to meet the protein requirements of these animals. We're trying to meet the mineral requirements, you know, zinc and copper and all selenium and all those things that are important for immune response. Um, and, and they're not eating. So how do we adjust for that? Well, duh, they don't require pounds of feed or milligrams of calcium and, and micrograms of zinc. They require uh, an intake of that, not a composition, not parts per million but milligrams per day. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we looked at phase feeding these receiving calves. We started them out with a very high concentrate diet, nutrient dense diet the first week. And then the second week we go to phase two and then the third week, phase three, guess what? They've been doing that in the, in the swine industry forever. <laughs> so I thought, Oh, what, why are we doing this with baby pigs? And, and they do it after weaning and, and the reason they do it isn't because baby pigs have this really high 23% protein requirement. It's because they don't, they aren't eating mm-hmm. and it takes them a while post eating, eating to adjust. So we adapted that in the feedlot. We had a lot of great successes with that. And then I, I thought, well, okay, now we got them on feed and they're all working good and we're calling bunks and trying to figure out how we can maximize intake. And, and I had, I had this thought about metabolic efficiency 
and gut size. And I thought I, I had I had this friend. OK, and uh, I won't name his name, but but he was quite overweight and and he would go on a diet and he'd cut back his intake and he wouldn't eat and he'd go on a diet for maybe two months and uh and and the weight came off so slowly his his body got very efficient in the use of calories it's a it's a survival mechanism mm-hmm. it's genetic selection is true in all animals it's you it's called the starving times you know your gut shrinks your metabolism slows down uh, your thyroid doesn't kick out as much uh, thyroxin and you get very efficient in the use of calories. So then my fat buddy, after, uh, after two months, it, here comes uh, uh, Christmas. And all of a sudden he says, the heck with my diet. I'm going to eat normally. And and the, the the 20 pounds he lost over two months, he gains back in, in a week mm-hmm. because he's got this lean, mean metabolic machine that grabs onto those calories and turns them into growth. And, you know, maintenance costs are so reduced in that scenario. And so I developed that into a phase feeding program, a prescription intake program where we limited intake early in the, uh, like for the first 90 days in the feedlot. And those cattle, we, we fed them about uh, 20% reduction in intake. And because they were, not eating ad libitum, they had some metabolic efficiency that I, they achieved. They didn't waste any feed. I didn't have to throw feed a, a away, and uh, they became very, very efficient. And then the I would step up their intake, and they'd they'd respond just like my fat friend. They would they would have this accelerated growth rate, way more than we would have projected based on their caloric intake. And then at the end of the feeding period. The last 60 days or so, we fed them ad libitum, and we found out we had reduced uh, uh, feed intake throughout the uh, reduced amount of feed required to get them to a targeted end weight um, and improved feed efficiency, reduced uh, feedlot manure, nutrient export, and all those sorts of things. So it was uh, three different lines of, of research all around the philosophy. It's not how it's not what you eat that matters. It's how much you eat. Great. That's that's good. And it's it's those research still going today. Like I, I saw the other day there were some universities about the manure with the, the perception of, of, mm-hmm. of the, the goal, not the perception, to reduce manure excretion mm-hmm. everything because of environmental challenge. They were prescribing limit feeding mm-hmm. because of that. We're still doing that research uh today, but that's it, it's it's gives a good concept and how you develop that. That's really good, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, any other question, Brooke? So just one last question as far as what's next for programmed or prescribed feeding. Do you see a future for this in the industry? And who do you think would be best able to adopt this sort of program? Yeah, well, in, in the swine industry, they, they've they used this uh, for decades in terms of rearing uh, breeding animals. Um, and, and I actually have a couple of papers looking at it in the poultry industry uh, for improving efficiency in the poultry industry. They're already pretty darn efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the cattle industry, uh, I think there's some uh, intake limiters that that might be able to be developed that, that could do this so that um, for animals that uh, 
or on on pasture, for instance, you could control it that way. Um, and I and I think that as as we get uh, changes in the value of cattle in terms of their their body composition and and their uh, their yield and quality grades, those sorts of things, and and then uh, I think um, environmental consequences of these kinds of programs may drive it. Um, <clears throat> I think it just takes more research um, to try to find solutions to these things. Greenhouse gases would be another one. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if 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 I'm feeding a hay-based diet, I'm producing a lot more methane and CO2 and a lot mm-hmm. more manure than if, than if I'm limit feeding a grain-based diet. So <laughs> that's very- great. Thank you. Good, Brooke. Yes, good. No, a lot of knowledge uh, on those two episodes. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Pedro. Thank you, Brooke. I I appreciate it again. If you guys have questions to Dr. Lurch or uh, comments or suggestions to our uh, podcast, send an email, all of the description. Remember, again, all of this information is our monthly newsletter. uh, That is everything transcribed. You can read as well. So subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the description of this episode. Thank you very much. And remember, it's always a good time for a cattle call. Cattle call.